Yeah, this Thursday night, that water slide will be back. Dean and I will be in the Dominican. And uh, our, well, we're going to have like leading worship at camp, leading the rec team at camp, uh, leading missionaries in the Dominican, leading the community down a water slide. How many guys know it's, it's the church's role to engage people, to enrage people sometimes, <laughs> to enlighten people, and to be a, a, just a force for good? How many guys know it's just good to be a part of a church that's doing something? And so we're doing something. I, I, heard, I saw a bumper sticker one time. It confused me, but the older I get, the more sense it, it makes. It said, Jesus is coming soon. Everybody look busy. Don't quite know what that means. But I, but I like the thought that we're not waiting for something. We're promoting something. We're moving forward. So I also want to say, too, a thank you to our worship team today. I don't know if you guys realize that. But today, the oldest, like the senior person, the senior member of our worship team was 27 years old. And the youngest was like 12 or something. Just crazy. So we are so grateful. We have multiple worship teams and multiple different, you know, whatevers. But I, I just, they just killed it this morning. So can we say thank you to them as well? And last but not least, because we will not be here next Sunday because we'll be out of the country. Uh, it is my wife's uh, 39th birthday this uh, coming Saturday. So on behalf of the congregation, to take a moment just to say you are, you are timeless and treasured. How you can be so respected and yet so adored is kind of a weird thing. I, I respect Patton, but I don't want to snuggle with him. You know what I mean? I, I think uh, Kermit the Frog is snuggly, but I wouldn't follow him into war. You are a Proverbs 31 woman, and we are blessed to have you. Can we say happy birthday to our First Lady? Amen. And now I don't have to get you a gift. you see how cool that was? It just totally happened? No, not true. Not true. Ladies, don't go to... Oh, I, I will. I will. I will. I will. Trust me. Give me some ideas. I will. Um, thanks, Pastor Josh, for last week. Uh, I probably heard more comments about, man, that really got me thinking, well, that I'm a pizza box, uh, you know, so thank you for that. We're in good hands. Uh, today, I just want to do this. We're going to shift gears a little bit, uh, and what I'm about to do is something I rarely do. I don't often do what I'm about to do. That is, I'm going to teach. About the next 20 minutes, I'm going to teach the Word of God. So where you usually have, you know, one to, to 10 scriptures, today's probably going to be more like 30 to 40 scriptures. I'm saying this because if you have the attention span of a goldfish like your pastor, this could be a challenge for you. If you're waiting for a sermon that has a, you know, this sort of moment and this, hey, make me laugh, and if I feel you disconnecting, I'll probably get silly, but I, and I hope that today we'll take all the attention we have because we're going to be talking about the person of the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives as believers. Because I think, I think some of us said, hey, I want to go witness this summer, teach me how. And so there's been some teaching, there's been some conversation, there's been some experience. But I think for the most part, many people are no closer to leading their first person to Jesus than they were seven weeks ago when we started this. Does that make sense? So often, guys, and we're going to see this in the story of Peter today, it's not just you know, that we know Jesus or we know the Word or that we believe He's the Son of God or we've witnessed His resurrection. Even after many of these things have taken place, Peter is still not able to stand up to a 12-year-old servant girl in the dark and talk about Jesus. So the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives is crucial. Amen? So I'm going to teach. You guys ready for a teaching? All right, 101. Here we go. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is God. 
Um, the Holy Spirit is, you know, we've heard God the Father, come on, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So, well, what does that mean? Well, there's something called the Trinity. It's, it's a non-biblical word. It's a theologian's word. They came up with to say, we see the attributes of God attributed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, well, explain that to me. And I, I really can't, I'll be honest with you. I've heard people say, well, it's kind of like water. Water can be a vapor or a liquid or a solid. And I look at water, I look at God, and I go, no, he's more complicated than that. Well, it's kind of like an egg. There's a shell, and there's a white, and there's a yolk, and that's, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's it. The closest thing I've ever come up with, is this piano still on? The closest thing I've ever come up with, might, might be best illustrated this way, is, uh, we'll play uh, C. Do you hear those three notes? But when you put them together... Da, 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 da. Right, so it's, it's like that, that the Trinity, the camera guys are like, he's moving, he's in the dark, change the aperture... The only camera word I know is aperture. So um, I don't really know if I, and I want to say this the right way, say, well, if you can't explain God, how can I know him? I'm not sure you want to know a God that I can explain. I think the more, the more I learn about God, I've answered my question. The only problem is it brings up about five more questions because he's unsearchable in his beauty. He, he, is, he is unknowable in any sense of completeness. But what I know of God, I, now I see through a glass dimly, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This three pounds to six pounds of gray matter between my ears is incapable of knowing the infiniteness of God. My eyes can't see his beauty to any extent. I don't have the physical capability. Um, eye is not seen. My ears do not have the capability to hear the, the gloriousness, the rumbles of his voice. Anytime we see God directly communicating with mankind in the Old Testament, they were like, yay, rock concert. It was like, run for your life, it's God. It is an overwhelming thing to be in the presence of a holy God, right? You guys still here? Okay, so, what, so he is God, but, but understand this, God the Father has this role in the Old Testament, God the Son has this role in the New Testament, and God the Holy Spirit is the one who's gonna bring us home. He's the one that says, don't worry, I got you. I got this. God the Father spoke from mountaintops. God the Son spoke in person, but confined to a human body. But when Jesus said, it is finished, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from from mankind was torn in half from top to bottom, and the Holy Ghost was loosed upon the earth. And now all of us can feel his joy. All of us can feel his conviction. All of us can feel his leading. All of us can feel his, his reminding us of things or bringing us to places. You ever not done something and you weren't quite sure why you just felt in your heart there was no peace? That was the Holy Spirit. You ever felt in your heart like, you should do something. It doesn't make any sense. I, I really don't want to do this, but I know in my heart it's the right thing. That was the Holy Spirit. Have you ever experienced a moment of joy? That was the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about who is the Holy Spirit, he is God. He is the one that's going to bring us home. That, that Joel chapter 2 prophecy becomes the Acts chapter 2 fulfillment. That in the last days, God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Your old men, they're going to dream dreams. Your young men are going to have visions. And everything's going to be different because the Holy Spirit will not be who comes upon somebody at a certain moment to do a certain thing. The Holy Spirit's going to live inside of people. And so we become the temple. Come on, of the Holy Spirit. You still here? What's the Holy Spirit do? Well, he teaches us. He reminds us, he leads us, he convicts us, he affirms us. But I think one of the key roles and the role I want to talk to you about today, in order for us to be a city on the hill, we talk about the lamp that, that, that shines the light in the darkness. There's another parable where Jesus talks about what makes the lamp burn is not just fire, but oil. 
the Holy Spirit inside of us. So one of the things that he does, one of the key roles he plays in our lives is that he is going to empower us to be infinitely more with him than we could ever be without him. Are you still here? Are you still here? I'm teaching. I can do puppets if you want. We good? So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, David kills Goliath. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, Solomon, a kid is like, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. Suddenly is the wisest man who ever lived. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, David goes out shopping for his bride and comes back with 100 Philistine foreskins. I need another microphone, so tech guys, bring me one. I'll hold one in my hand, please. So it's the Holy Spirit empowers us to do things that we cannot do. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Now I got something in two hands. Watch this. Okay. And it's on and everything, so I'm going to turn this one off. Do I sound different? Is it, is it this? I'm just freaking you out. I'm sorry. That was fun to be me. <laughs> so Peter, let's talk about Peter. Peter has seen the miracles of Jesus, yes? Peter has, has heard the words that they've been written down. He's seen Lazarus resurrected from the dead. He's seen angels. He's seen incredible things. And, and uh, he actually is the one who points to Jesus and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonas, because you know, man didn't tell you this. You figure this out because God showed you this. Now, look at this. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to do 31, 33 through 35, verse 56, and then 69 through 75. Well, we're skipping around for the narrative's sake. Are you ready? Here comes the teaching. Everybody ready? Say amen. Okay, seatbelts on. Here we go. Then Jesus told them this very night, you'll all fall away on account of me. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now, Peter speaks up as he always does. Even if all fall away, I count of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said, "Uh uh-huh, 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 skip forward. Then all the disciples deserted him (laughs) and fled. Skip forward. Now, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard. Jesus has been arrested. The courtyard, the trial, he's sitting out there in the dark. And a servant girl came to him. And she says this, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. And he said, no, no, no. He denied it before them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway. He's going, I'll just get away from this crowd. I'll find another one. We're another servant girl. Now, Understand this, the, the Bible, the modern translations have removed the word slave because slave has the, um, the connotation of American chattel slavery attached to it. And I'm not saying that they were any freer than, than those that we fought the Civil War for, but it, it is different in that they can be freed, most often are freed, a very common practice. So they were known as servants, but they're, they're indentured servants. They cannot leave until a debt is paid, until they've accomplished a certain goal, until they've raised enough funds to buy their freedoms. Slavery was not, was not the end that everybody wanted. It was the means by which you became free. So if that makes any sense. But understand this, that most of the world at this time, and ladies, don't get mad at me, and don't get mad at me about slavery. I'm just teaching the Bible. And don't, don't act like if you've written it, you've done a better job. Let's just read the one that we have, right? But this is, this is what happened. That, that most of the world believe that, that either children or often women all through adulthood didn't even have a soul. Because, because the breath of life was put into Adam, but Eve was created from a bone in Adam's side. The breath of life was not placed inside of her. So, so the least person with any clout, any authority, any influence in this culture is a girl, not a woman, a girl who's a slave who goes to Peter and says to him, you're one of his disciples. This fellow's with Jesus Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. No, I, listen, by the, by the moons of Grapthar, I, I promise you, 
I do not know the man. Well, after a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely, come on, you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. You can tell me you're not from West Virginia, but I can hear it, Bubba. Then he began to call down curses. If I'm lying to you, may the fleas of a thousand camels infest my armpits. And then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. How many of you guys think that's a terrible story so far? How many of you guys are glad you came to church because Peter makes you feel better about yourself? <laughs> All right. So here's the question. Why did Peter just fail at being a witness for Jesus? Is it knowledge? Who could have known more? Who could have known more, right? Is it, is it love? I mean, when he said, I'll die with you, that wasn't because he wanted to be some sort of egotistical. I mean, he really loved Jesus, but his knowledge failed him, and his love for Jesus failed him. It was that he just needs time to grow. The dude's had like three years. I don't think that's the issue. Is it experience? I mean, he's raised the dead. He's cast out demons. He's healed the sick. He's preached the gospel village to village where people welcomed him or rejected him and they fed him or he shook the, the dust off his feet as a testimony against him, what my dog does every morning after she's done with her business. That's what Peter would do as he finished God's business. If they didn't receive him, he just went to the next thing. So why is it, why is it that Peter has failed? And this is the answer, guys. Hear me. Peter is lacking power. He has knowledge and knowledge is power according to Schoolhouse Rock. But sometimes, knowledge is not the power we need. He has love. Is love powerful? Oh, it's, it's the most excellent way. Love never fails. But sometimes, love is not the power we need. He has all sorts of pedigrees, all sorts of experiences. But in this instant, everything that Jesus gave him, everything that he'd experienced, everything he knew, everything he loved, everything he experienced, was not sufficient to stand up to the test that he was in front of. Anybody ever failed and just just didn't know why. I, what do I need to succeed here? So Jesus is going to deal with that lack of power. He's going to give them all, and by the way, not just to them, but to us too, come on, what we need today. So fast forward to Acts chapter 1. This is 40 days Jesus is, in his resurrected form has showed up, walked through walls, taught people, cooked fish on the beach. It's pretty amazing, right? And uh, for 40 days he's teaching them. And it says, on one occasion, while Jesus was, was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, fellas, but wait. What are we waiting for? There's this gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water. He immersed you. He dunked you in the Jordan River. Every fiber of your being was soaked in this. It was in your mouth. It was up your nose. It was in your ears. You were, there wasn't a part of you that wasn't affected by your contact with that water. And in the same way, you're be baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized, what? With the Holy Spirit. So that experience of dry uh-uh, soaked. Same thing's going to happen to you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be like dry, if you will, but you're going to be soaked, immersed, baptized in, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and when you pop up, it will have affected who you are. Now, this says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive what? Power. What is Peter lacking? What? So you will receive what you're lacking. You will receive what Peter was lacking in that test, in that moment to be a witness for Christ. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be, interesting wording, be my witnesses, my martas. We get a word martyr from it. You will be the one who will stand even unto death every test. Where does the power for being a martas, a witness, a martyr come from? It comes from the power of the 
You're getting it. I'm so excited for you and for me. And you will be. It doesn't say you're going to go and do. He said you're going to stay and be. I am going to take oil, as it were, the Holy Spirit, pour it inside of you, as it were, get a, a flame on top of your head going, and you are going to shine in a way you cannot shine with just the oil or just the flame. I'm going to connect the two of them. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here where we are, in all Judea, that would be like the state of Michigan, in Samaria, that would be like the Midwest and the uttermost parts of the earth all the way to Ohio State University. The evil places. Only the bravest lions go there kind of place, right? Look at Acts chapter 2. Now, this is the promise. Now, Jesus ascends, and here we are, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, so 50 days after Jesus' Passover crucifixion, 50 days, Pentecost, Penta, mainly Pentagram 5, 50 days after came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. How many of you guys know what's getting weird? I mean, if all of a sudden, you'd be like, what's, who's doing that? That'd be one thing. But all of a sudden, you see like, like fire come down, and all it sets on Todd's head, and it sets on Eileen's head, and it sets on Carol's head. How many of you guys be like, <laughs> right? And, uh, and, and uh, the violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house, tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled, baptized, baptizo, soaked with, soaked in the person of the Trinity known as the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. How many of you guys know it just got really weird? No, we're in the Assemblies of God Church, it's Pentecostal. How many of you guys know it just got really weird? Like, like, if that happened today, we'd all be kind of like, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. I'm not quite sure how to relate to that. But evidently, the Holy Spirit was so comforting and so powerful and so personal that even though there was weird things happening, that people they were happening to didn't run for their lives, they actually dug in deeper. Come on, somebody. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem some God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why? Because the feast of the Passover... Uh, began at Passover and ended after Pentecost. They would stay for the, that month and a half pilgrimage once in your life, once in a generation, let's all go to Disney kind of stuff where we don't want this generation to pass without all of us being together in Jerusalem for Passover. Even now, the Passover Seder, the Passover meal, they'll say next year in Jerusalem, the same thing today as then, right? So they're in Jerusalem, they're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now when they heard the sound, the sound of the languages, the sound of the wind, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native tongue? Now look who's in the neighborhood for, for the, the Feast of Pentecost. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, way over in Europe, way down in, in Egypt, way over in the Middle East, both Jews and converts to Judaism. It's Cretans, Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Now, they speak Hebrew because that's their, their religious language. Are you getting this? But they also speak the language of commerce where they live. They were scattered by previous kings, conquered first by their own sin, then conquered by conquerors. They were scattered all over the Roman world, all over the Greek world, all over the Persian world. But they maintained the Jewishness of their language, their culture, and the word of God. Somebody say amen. Even in that, God warned them, you're going to screw up, and this is what's going to happen. But someday, you'll come back. It happened in 1947, I believe. So hear this now. 
this, this moment where this is all happening, and this is what happens, amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, in every crowd, there's this guy. Now, they're declaring, I think I tried to like a, make a, 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 an analogy today, of suddenly this happens in this room, and there's a sound of mighty rush of wind. All of us get this weird tongue thing over our head, and we start speaking in languages we don't know how to speak, and a crowd formed outside that had gathered for some sort of international convention because we all know that Fenton is the epicenter of all cultures. And they're like, well, you know, I'm from, I'm from the Dutch world, and I can hear that person declaring the glory of God in fluent Dutch, even without an accent. Well, I'm from Germany, and I, I hear him, you know what I mean? And I, I understand every word he's saying. He's talking about how good God is. He, he's talking about things that only I would know. Like He's declaring the glory of God to me. Someone goes, you know, I'm from the Middle East. I'm from Israel. I'm from, and they were hearing all these languages. And the guy goes, well, you know why they can do that? Why? Well, because they've been drinking. Now, I've been hammered in a long time, but I don't remember ever speaking Dutch when I was hammered. <laughs> now, watch what happens. I just love this. There's always somebody that goes, well, that's not God. That's man. How many of us know whenever God does something, there's always somebody that says, that's not God. That's man. Let me say it again. Every time God does something, whether it's your salvation or an experience you may have with the Holy Spirit today, let me tell you right now, no matter what God does in your life today, there'll be someone that tells you, you probably shouldn't have had that experience. That that experience wasn't real. Why? How many of us know that every time the devil talks, you can smell brimstone in the room, right? And this is what's happening. Like, what do I do with this? What's the devil going to do? Well, find some idiot. And forgive me, say that's not a kind word. Find some idiot and plant in his mind, well, everybody who gets drunk can speak Mesopotamian. And they go, that sounds good to me. I just want a reason why this isn't God. That's what I want. Because if that is God, then it, it commands some sort of a decision on my part. I don't know that I want to make. How many of us know the Holy Spirit being God has the right to move into his temple? So what does the Holy Spirit do? Hear me. The Holy Spirit does anything he wants to do, but he has to do it through someone who wants him to do it. And that's where it gets a little touchy. You still with me? Now watch what happens. Then Peter stood up, this guy who denied him to a servant girl. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, can I have your attention, please? Over here on aisle three, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Do you see a difference? This is the Peter who at the fire came under fire and died. Denied Christ three times, swore an oath, used God's name in vain, the whole thing. He's just saving his life. That same guy is now the guy that 50 days later is standing up saying, can I have your attention, please? I'm about to tell you something, and this is what it is. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, you know this, by wonders, you know this, and by signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. How many of you guys know if they believe that, they're having a bad day? But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on of him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses, all of us right here. This 12, we have all seen him, talked to him, eaten with him, exalted the right hand of God. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Who is this guy? 
Hey, you, you got an accent. Are you with Jesus? No, I never met the man. You know, you, I think I, weren't you standing next to him at the triumphal entry? You were like, you know, out of the way. Everybody move your, your coats and your, your, you know, your palm branches. I, I mean, I saw you standing next to him. Wasn't that you? No, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Now that same guy, knowing the cost of following Jesus is execution, stands up at the house of the executioners and proclaims Jesus as Lord. What's happened? Does he have some knowledge he didn't have before about Jesus? Does he have some experience? Does he have? No, hear me. He now has the Holy Spirit. And deutimus or power, or we get our word dynamite, you shall receive dynamite when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll move obstacles. This isn't Peter at the fire anymore. This isn't Peter under fire anymore. This is Peter on fire. Because the Holy Spirit has lit him. So, well, maybe it's because he witnessed the resurrection of the dead. He wasn't afraid to die anymore. That's a, that's a, I've actually heard people say that's why he just, he's not afraid to die anymore. But here's, here's something we should consider. If that's the case, then his words would have no effect. But look what happens. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what are we going to do? Cut to the heart. Let me say this. I can say stories that make us laugh or stories that make us cry, but only God can cut to our hearts. And when he spoke those words, it wasn't just the words that he spoke. It was the anointing in those words. It was the moment the Holy Spirit touched people, not just with tongues of fire, but with hands of love and reconciliation. And when they heard those words, they knew that they were true because the Holy Spirit made it true. What are you going to do? And this is where he replies. Repent. Change your life. Change your mind. Change your course. Change your direction. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at this next line. The promise is for you. It's for your kids. It's for people far off. It's for, what's that next word? It's for what? It's for who? Whom the Lord our God shall call. It's, this is the norm. This is the raw power of God, the Holy Spirit, convicting people, moving people, changing people. So let me remind you, just worship team, join me again if you would. My time's expired. And, and what I want to do here today is simply this. I, I don't... I have to be careful what I say. <clears throat> I trust that open hearts will be filled by the oil of Pentecost. I trust of the Holy Spirit who, that's not a terrifying sound, is it? <laughs> I'll get you, my pretty. I trust that a willing heart in this room becomes a filled heart, that becomes a spilled heart. And let me just say this before I, I close, close. Um, uh, I, I, am a, I am someone who loves unity in the body of Christ. Do you feel that on a regular basis? So anytime I bring a word that feels somewhat corrective, I'm afraid you're going to get somebody or some place or some denomination or some group in mind, and it sounds like I'm demeaning something. I am not demeaning anybody or anything or anywhere. Can I say that up front? But revival is not revival until it affects people outside the church. We want to be thrilled, and we want to be filled. But at some point, we have to be spilled. Before, before it's revival, before it, before it accomplishes the goal for which it was sent. When the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, when the Holy Spirit gives us unction or, 
or this moment of power, this, this great outpouring. Please understand, it is not primarily so the saints get to linger in the altars for three hours and, and have gifts amongst each other. Now, that, that happened in the upper room, but it, the upper room had to spill into the outer courts, or you couldn't call it revival. 120 blessed people at a prayer meeting is not uncommon, but it will never change the world. So when we ask God for more, it's not more because I want to speak in tongues too. I want to speak fluent Mesopotamian. I want to have this experience. I want chicken skin. I want to thrill. I cannot promise what your soul will do, but I can promise you that it says in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will know things and do things and go places. And we are the sons and the daughters of the people that he's talking to. That's generations yet to come. We are in that generations yet to come. So today, I'm just simply saying this. If you speak in tongues, wonderful. If you, if you prophesy, wonderful. But the goal is, is not to, to bless this or simply to just be blessed. The goal is to be a blessing. If we measured, I, I, I won't go there. I, I just simply say this. Matter of fact, stand your feet if you would, please, just all over this room. This is what I'd like to do. I'd like to get our hearts just back positioned in the presence of God. Stand your feet and just kind of close your eyes. So I don't really, what are you doing right now? Just, if you don't want to close your eyes, please don't. If, if you want to close your eyes but hold on to your purse, that's fine. I, whatever, whatever makes you comfortable, man. I'm not trying to create some weird spiritual dynamic. But I do want to facilitate a landing place for the dove. I do want to facilitate a stillness, a place where the Holy Spirit can rest upon us and empower us from within. I'm not sure if you ever had this experience, but when you suddenly speak up boldly about something and you walk away and it's almost like you're in a room where someone else did it. Where did that come from? Why, why did I take such a bold stand? Where did the wisdom of my words come from? Where did the, the self-control, not to say what I wanted to say, come from? What you're experiencing is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inside of you makes you holy, whole, and holy. The holiness movement was a beautiful thing that happened mid to late 1800s, early 1900s. But here's the problem. Those who had a revelation only passed on to their children and grandchildren the regulation of what holiness did, not who holiness came from. Does that make sense? I'm telling you, every generation needs a fresh revelation of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just true for generations. That's true for congregations. My prayer today is that God will give us a refreshing, that God will pour out his spirit upon us in such a way that we will know something we haven't known before, that we will be closer than we've ever been before, that there will be power we've never walked in before. Does this make sense? Is that a simple prayer? Is that okay I pray that over you guys? So Father, today, as we lift our hands, as we open our hearts, as we close our eyes, as we, or as we stand as skeptics, God, I'll, I'll, you can work through all those mediums. God, right now I pray, would you just meet us where we are and then exceed to those expectations. Jesus, you didn't die to, to reconcile us to a bunch of rules. We had the rules. You died and you rose again and defeated death, hell, the grave, sin. You defeated it so we could be restored, so we could know, so we could touch, so we could hear, so we could see, so we could, so we could be in the world what you would have us to be. Now let your kingdom come. Let your will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to worship for a bit, and then I'm going to come back towards the end. Let's just worship.